Hello everyone and welcome to what I'm going to be calling episode 8 of season 2 of the Icefear. Uh, I'm I. <laughs> I'm Joy. And uh, to be honest, before we before we really begin today, we kind of want to say, look, we know that we've been a little bit AWOL for the past couple of weeks. It's been very sporadic and it's been a mixture of illness and to be honest a little bit of burnout as well we know that there's this kind of expectation that we're doing something weekly um, but at the same time you've got to take into account that we're both very busy people otherwise uh, outside of what we do here and we do desperately try and do this every week but we also need to make sure that we're looking after each other um, so we we did take a little bit of a break <laughs> I would be a very poor chronic illness advocate if I was like, yeah, let's just burn ourselves to pieces doing this every week when we don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm not, I'm never, if you turn around to me and say, I'm not really feeling it today, my first response is always, yeah, okay, that's, yeah. let's take a break. Because there's no point doing this if it's not fun for us anymore. Yeah. The whole reason we do this is because it's fun for us to hang out and talk to people. We're not doing it because it's a grind. Yeah, and I feel like our our approach is that we like neither of us have ever dragged the other one into no <laughs> into streaming for the ice fear. Um, so yeah, um, um, you good? I saw my cat. I saw my camera freeze on Discord, and then it didn't freeze on Twitch. It was very weird. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, so today we've got a wee bit to talk about uh, the kind of recap. Um, We'll be covering the UK coronation of of Charles Windsor, um, and Charles, Charles the Third of England. That's a, yes, it rolls off the <laughs> rolls off the tongue. Um, yeah, so we'll be talking about that a wee bit and the kind of stuff. Probably more of the stuff surrounding it than the event itself, because uh, not many people watched. Um, but. Yeah, we'll be doing that, and then we'll be going on to talking about What Remains of Edith Finch, which is a kind of narrative video game that me and Joy... Well, I kind of asked Joy if uh, she'd played it before, and it's it's an interesting game to talk around. There's lots of stuff. There's, there's like, there's... From a story perspective, from a design perspective, it's, it's quite cool. So we'll do a deep dive on that. But first, we will address the coronation. Um, Joy, did you watch the coronation at all? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was unavoidable to some degree because it, I was out and about in town and they had it on televisions. Really? On, like display set, yeah. And I'm like... Ah, oh, man, Americans are weird when it comes to the Americans have a really royals. weird relationship with royalty, or at least some of them do. Because yeah. you guys, like, I, I actively had to remind some members of my family, you you realise you guys got rid of kings for a reason, right? <laughs> you realise you got rid of the monarchy, and now you're like, oh, but they're like, yeah, it, it's, you know, someone said to me, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I'm like, for him, not for me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do, I do plan on living the five, ten years until the next one, you know? I know. I, uh, like, I, I, I have at least two more coronations in me. Have you seen that royal family? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just... Uh, and I'm chronically ill saying that. I fully intend to outlive them. Uh, <laughs> it was a really weird kind of cultural thing for me being over here. Um, and there were people that I felt were more into it than the people I knew back home. Right. And, yeah, it was, it was strange. It was almost like a, oh, the... the there's this trap that some Americans fall into, which is ye olden times were better. 
And it's like, yeah. you got rid of kings for a reason. We're trying to get rid of kings for a reason in Scotland. Like, it's... The, the, the nostalgia doesn't serve you any purpose. This is not a case of rose-tinted glasses. This is just fascism in a fancy hat. Yeah, um, I mean, you do get a lot of Americans who are, like, a really big fan of things like Downton Abbey and Bridgerton. They, like, that kind of romanticised, um, like, view of kind of English nobility slash royalty it, it is, a, it is quite popular, I imagine. I wonder, see, I wonder if there's a contingent of American folk who are, like, really, really into Outlanders who actually double down on the hatred of the monarchy. That would be funny. Um, from like a f- Outlanders are <laughs> a really weird fandom. And so I, I, one of these days, I am going to get you to watch Outlander. I'm not going to make you read it because I care for you too much to make you read it. <laughs> but I'm going to make you watch it so that you can look at it and say... What the fuck is this with me? Because what what seasons? Because I've I watched up until he crashed, like the shipwrecks on America, at the end Any, of season so, three. It's a really weird. We're already on a tangent here, but it's <laughs> yeah. so it's Claire Fraser or Beach and whatever her name is. Yeah, she is obviously the Amer- the American author self insert. And it is a white English woman telling Scottish people they shouldn't rebel because it is hopeless. Instead of taking her knowledge to help her lover and her new friends win the war against the English, she uses it to get them to submit because it will be easier than fighting. Yeah, there's definitely a bit where... colonizer, insider... (laughs) I know better. I therefore I'm going to tell these people they shouldn't fight against an unjust system. I'm going to tell them they should just accept it. Yeah, and I kind of get it. Yeah, because it's like the 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 reason for her not is that her being aware of the historical events that happen will out her as a like a witch in that time. There's a whole witch arc to it where oh you know too much kind of thing and like you know that's kind of trying to protect her i believe um but then you've got uh, like i mean i remember seeing some of the promo stuff for i think it was either season four or five and it was like a the main man jamie fraser in like a red coat uniform and it was like "Ah." (laughs) but also they lead into her being a witch when it's convenient for them Mm. they fully lead into oh she's a fairy or oh she's magical when yeah. it serves their purpose. So why wouldn't they just be like, oh yeah, the Scottish have a witch on their side? Yeah. Why? Why? I, the Jacobeans would have embraced that. They would have been like, oh, she's a white witch who fights for Scottish independence in the Jacobean throne. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That would have been completely, like, they were so superstitious that would have been a thing. But no, it was, oh, we have to protect her. She can't give away too much knowledge. But she can totally tell everyone to submit because reasons but it's a very and the fandom's very much like that a lot of them feel as if they are the oppressed people when they actually are the colonizers that tell people how to live and then you have the claire fraser character who's like oh i'm better than all these because they go to america at one point yeah and she's like i could never own a slave but then she lives in a plantation for yes sorry yeah the bit the bit that i remember was so 
it starts in Scotland and then they go to France for ages in season two and then they're back in Scotland briefly and then they get a ship all the way out and there's this there's this bit where like she educates Jamie on like slave owning is bad <laughs> um, and then yeah as you say she goes and does like she like she basically hangs out on a plantation so it's like she's got all this knowledge of like how society should be but then just kind of like it's only when it's convenient yeah it's very <laughs> she sits on a plantation otherwise i hate to say it but it's very much woke signaling mm. on behalf of Derek Malden because it's very much you have the righteous character who believes certain things and spouts moral things but doesn't follow through with them right okay um, and that's where i take um umbrage with it, I suppose. It's that kind of the you have Claire who's like, how can you believe in slavery? It's so wrong. But then she's content to be waited on hand and foot by an enslaved woman for months on end. And she she doesn't say anything. She doesn't do anything to try and free these people. It would be like in my novels if Vlad, the character who is, very, who is shown to be from his opening chapter to be very pro-union, pro-workers' rights, pro-reformation, if he turned around and went, Actually, I quite like being at the top of the food chain. I'm just I'm just saying it for the bit so that people like me. Whereas, right, yeah. Spoilers, his character arc is dismantling the system that puts him at the top. He fully, he commits to a heart soul because he believes in it. I feel like Claire Fraser is a mouthpiece for, oh, I, I had the author having to acknowledge that these things are terrible, but it's not convenient to the plot for Claire to do anything about it. And to me, that's just cowardice. And it's also right. just Diana, Diana Gabaldon's own prejudices seeping in. Because mm. I, for those who are aware, I have personal beef with Diana Gabaldon. <laughs> We've heard this story on... <laughs> We're going to get sued by Diana Gabaldon at some point. She'll she'll end I, up stumbling upon this fucking I show. I definitely am. <laughs> yeah. And yes, Panny, those are stars on my on my neck, on my earrings. I thought it would go with this one on my necklace. Thank you for noticing. But... Um, <laughs> It's anyway, but that everyone <laughs> fandom is very kind of they're either very much aware of it, they're either very self aware and they're just into for you know the fun adventure and you know they can overlook some of the racism, the homophobia and all that other yeah. stuff that's in the books, or you have the people that are fully committed to it and they're like, oh, but the the true king is just, and they side with the idea of like Jacobean kings and they'll send you ask. They're, oh they're fuck like, what, yeah what if you put the real jacobeans back yeah on the floor, like, no he's there isn't any yeah the stuart white is german now like i don't need a monarchy we don't need a ruling class i think that is like yeah for for those of you unaware i tend to get quite a lot of asks on tumblr specifically around like what if we restored like the true scottish kings and it's like nope I am I am very hardcore and I'd say I'm quite contemporary in my belief that just monarchy shouldn't exist at all. Um like there's there are people who kind of go that traditional route of oh we don't want this line of people to have like ultimate privilege but no instead it's like nah we could just get rid of monarchies altogether. I realise we went on a yeah. belt. <laughs> we went on we a belt of a tangent that. there. <laughs> um, yeah, how did? Yeah, so I, so Americans obviously watching the coronation. Why we ended up talking about Outlander was uh, 
<laughs> was whether there was kind of infighting amongst Americans watching it. But well, it's the discussion of the fandoms because you do have the people that are very much Downton Abbey diehards. They want yeah. the pretty houses and the tea parties. They basically want the fantasy of being wealthy enough yeah, to it's, not have to work. And that's fair. Like Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but then you also you brought up the Outlander, which is, yeah. oh, I wonder if those people are dead against it. No, they just believe in the Jacobean King instead, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Which but, unless, unless you're cool. If you're, an, if you're an Outlander fan who is not pro-monarchy, you're cool. It's the weird <laughs> ones that are like, we should restore the Scottish monarchy. And it's like, we cut off Queen Mary's head for a reason. Like, we don't want them. We don't <laughs> want yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so coronation kind of came and went, I suppose, like the 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 Saturday, Saturday the 6th, I think it was. Yeah, Saturday the 6th. I don't even know. Very, well, <laughs> very, very early in the morning, the uh, Metropolitan Police arrested the, like, the founder and key organisers of uh, Republic UK. Um, apparently, they were like planning to blockade parts of the route but it was just pish like all they all they done is hired a van to hand out placards that said not my king on it um and they were arrested and held and you know like basically to um in a completely authoritarian way um the metropolitan police were just able to arrest them um for a wee while it was said that they weren't they weren't given a formal charge for a while and then it emerged that they were the 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 official charge was conspiracy to create public nuisance Mm -hmm. which is like what the fuck (laughs) i mean that's when the uk started outlawing protests yeah that is that's the that's the anti-protest laws which luckily do not apply in scotland because we're not nuts but that's when you know people were you know saying like I saw people for the first time were, were watching the coronation and like oh fascism's really on the rise in the UK and I'm like it's been rising for <laughs> it's, it's not recent. oh yeah we're we're um, yeah the king in his golden carriage being pulled down a street that's filled with wet sand because they ha- they can't afford to fill the potholes yeah that was it's, yeah that was an aerial shot and a half it was like if you wrote sake. that in fiction you'd have people calling it a trite metaphor for the evils of capitalism and oh monarchy. yeah and yet it is the british reality currently and but it was you know they had so many people being like oh we arrested these people because they thought they were going to try and startle the horses yeah as like, if as if those horses haven't gone through the most rigorous fucking training they get they get shot, like they fire cannons around those horses. Oh, yeah. Regularly. They fire ceremonial rounds into the air around those horses. And you're telling me the horses couldn't withstand being jeered at? Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, I mean, I, like, yeah. It's interesting, like, from a kind of topic of, like, in the run up to the coronation, for anyone who doesn't kind of know, there was a lot of discussion around, like, Charles being this like this great modernizer of the monarchy as an institution uh which is very entertaining um just on account of like how fucking rubbish it is one of the things that um one of one of the things so like 
there, there was a, a standard coronation procedure when Elizabeth was crowned. Um, and there's like a specific thing that they removed from the ceremony, which was the, sorry, I realised that I've got the volume section up over Joy's face there. <laughs> um, but now the, uh, like, yeah, so they removed this thing and it was like the the homage of the peers or something it was called. Um, and then Charles instead decided in the 21st century to demand that, millions of people across the UK recite a pledge to him during the coronation, which I'm not going to repeat because I don't want anyone to quote it out of context and, <laughs> and uh, think that I've pledged allegiance. But it was like, it was a full on like written sentence that like you were basically pledging allegiance to him, his heirs and his future successors, which by the way, fucking includes Prince Andrew. Who is a potential successor to the throne? Like you're, you're pledging allegiance to all that. So to a known predator and nonce. Yeah. Which, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know what a nonce is, it's a British word for pedophile. Mm. Um. And that also got like I am by no means a Harry and Meghan stan, but I hated the fact that Harry had to show up in a three-piece suit. And Prince Andrew was in full regalia with the honours of being monarchy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're yeah. quite happy to have a pedophile, but not somebody who fell in love I, with an actress. I always think, like, uh, the British media is really fucking bad for it, but they, they seem to draw very tight comparison between what Harry has put the royal family through and what Prince Andrew has put the royal family through. And it's like... One is the sexual assault of a minor, and the other one is leaving your family behind because they're fucking racist. Yeah. Pretty, pretty dodgy. Um, it just shows you who they are. Oh, like, yeah. That was, my mum, like, my mum's one of those people that is, like, she believes the best in people until proven otherwise, and... She was like, it's not nice to call people racist unless you have proof. And I'm staring at her like, as though the entire British monarchy system is not built on racism. The entire British empire is built on a foundation of enslavement and racism and prejudice and bigotry. And but she was saying these things and I'm like, you realise, like, just because he sold his story doesn't mean the things that he talked about aren't true. Yeah. Just because I mean, he's getting money for it. Yeah, um, I mean, the only reason he would probably did sell his story was because why would you not fucking cash in on that? Like because they cut him off, they were yeah. cutting him off from his funds, and it's it's just um. Sorry, I'm fiddling with my volume to see if I can get any higher. I've volume. I've turned you up as high as possible. Yeah, so, um, uh, maybe. But enough. it's yeah, as um Parker suppose says in chat, it's classic Darvo. It's like the kind of the. You're playing there that when you have an abusive partner or abusive, you know, parental figure, it's like, oh, you misdirect and you say, well, I never said that, but you said this, therefore you're worse. Yeah. So they're pa yeah. they're painting him as worse because, like the, because he made money off of things as opposed to you know the royal family that routinely makes money off of everything else that they do. You know, yeah, like I mean, he's calling them out. Yeah. And I, I feel like there was quite a lot. So I, I was at the rally on uh, Calton Hill. Um, I was I was emceeing the rally, which was uh, an interesting experience. So I was 
I I basically set the the tone, and then there was about there was about five hundred people there by my kind of estimate, and then there was we had speakers, so like various politicians and uh, people kind of from across the kind of Scottish. Uh, political and social landscape um and like one of the things that i'd kind of brought up is that like the way that the monarchy kind of conducts itself in like this dna i mean it was a fucking joke that that coronation cost over a hundred million pounds right meanwhile the cost of living is through the fucking roof families are starving you know people are unable to pay their like electricity bills because that's gone gone sky high it's like like i would almost give it the benefit of the doubt if everything was fine like if if the country was economically okay then it's fine but like the scale of the cost of living crisis at the moment why the fuck did we waste money on this one special day for a privileged arsehole, for want of a better word? Because the cost of living is manufactured for greed, and True. the coronation and the monarchy is tied to that. That is basically, yeah. you know, I know you're asking me rhetorically, but there <laughs> will be some people that don't understand. The cost of living crisis in the UK is manufactured. It does not have to exist. Yeah. It has been put in place by a corrupt Tory government and the Tories are royalists. Yeah. Um, this is the, my this is my soapbox. This is this is <laughs> friendship for me. Because there have been some people that are, you know, they're fully anti Tory but they're still monarchists. And I'm like, you can't No nah, doesn't work like that. They are that. tied together. They are tied together. See this is um, what's so embarrassing about Labour though. Like Keir Starmer did a big fucking soppy God save the king shit and like Labour's official Twitter account where you know all we pledge allegiance to the king and it's like you're the fucking Labour party have some self respect Um, formed from unions from workers strike because they were starving and couldn't feed their children yeah it's fucking it's it's, it's embarrassing I I feel embarrassed for them but there's there's always been that very kind of working class sect that is pro monarchy. Yeah. There is a working class sect that is very this is our place. And they don't realise it should it doesn't have to be. Like, yes, there are jobs that everyone has to do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean some rich fuck can sit on a gold throne and do nothing. Yeah. And people in his kingdom can literally be there are children literally starving in the UK. Oh yeah. I mean there's like uh, it's important. Yeah, I mean, there's there's videos of kids that have been interviewed, like interviewed by like food banks and stuff, and they're like, oh, you know, we try not to, you know, we try not to eat that much each day, you know, that kind of stuff. Blue or lights? You're asking, how did the party of Labour become like that? It's actually quite an interesting thing to kind of see, but basically, because of the UK political system in Westminster being what it is, you know, L- L- Labour stopped really being Labour when they started to appoint members to the House of Lords because that's buying into you know the Lords of the Lands being in a separate political chamber than like elected politicians and then you've got them voting on laws and then you get you know Knights of the Realm I mean the leader of the Labour Party is Sir Keir Starmer um, and then you've got all the kind of the, the, the awards and titles which are used I mean like to be honest, if you're in the UK, you probably know someone 
even slightly tangentially, who's received some sort of honour from the monarchy, whether it's like a, an OBE or a CBE or an MBE. Um, and that's that's member of the British Empire and commander of the British Empire. That's the actual fucking title. Um, but a lot of like what what you, what we found kind of in recent years is whenever these honours lists are kind of produced, it's very obviously targeted to you know maybe maybe there's someone who's worked really hard in a hospital who's done quite a lot of charity work and the. Like they, they might they might have just been plugging away, you know, not doing it for any sort of recognition. But what I found is that the the threshold of being given one of these honors is very woolly each year. So they they do it to kind of buy this. Oh, I've been honored by the king, or I've been honored by the queen, uh, and you know you get that little bit of goodness. I mean, there's lots of people who reject the honors because they don't believe in mm-hmm. them. But there's you know there's. It's a way of almost buying loyalty to a degree. I will, I will bestow an honour upon you. You'll be able to put yeah. MBE at the end of your name and this kind of shit. It's like it's a way of buying loyalty from people who don't have easy access into that world already. Oh yeah, and they they hope it shows some sort of solidarity with a, a lower class to be like, look, you too can achieve this. Yeah, when you in reality you can't. You know, you've you've been selected because you look good. You're good PR. That's yeah. it. And that, yeah, you're a good PR exercise for the monarchy is what it really boils down to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just to get into the, like, I know that we're talking about the coronation, but I think we can also talk about the kind of wider, like, monarchy in this. So in Scotland alone, the monarchy, because we still are attached to this kind of system, the monarchy needs to sign off on our laws. Which means that the monarchy can basically demand exemption to any law, otherwise they can just refuse to sign off on it. And they've they've not they've they are exempted from 160 laws. A lot of them are around things like land ownership, um, and so, hunting, and hunting. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and all the rest of it. They're basically it's a way to kind of keep that control and of course the monarchy is also exempt from you know any sort of inheritance tax so the monarchy don't pay inheritance tax or anything so they can actually you know squander and kind of squirrel away kind of tens of millions um while also then putting the cost of the coronation onto the taxpayer so they're not even using the money that they save by not paying tax they're then keeping that and getting the taxpayer to foot the bill for their kind of big lavish events, which I am disgusted with entirely. It's horrible. The band. I mean, that was, I think I've told this story as well. When we went to, uh, I took Mothman, which for anyone listening who's unaware, Mothman is the nickname Tumblr gave my husband. Um, He's American. (laughs) I took him to Scottish Parliament with me and he found out that the monarchy has to approve Scottish laws and a bunch of other stuff and they're exempt from certain things. So he was like baffled by this because he he thought they were purely a figurehead. He thought it was a tourist attraction. So we're standing and talking to this this tour guide who's taking us around Holyrood Parliament and he starts asking these difficult questions and I become aware of the security guards coming <laughs> behind and, and I real and I re- he keeps asking questions and I'm like elbowing him like shut the fuck up like just like and he's like what and i'm like you don't realize what you're doing 
you're about to get put in a small cell. <laughs> and then I had to be like, he, he did, he does, he's a political science major. He's just, he's just interested. He's just like curious about foreign <laughs> things. I'm like thinking in my head, I'm going to have to explain to my future mother, mother-in-law that her son is in jail because he was questioning <laughs> how the monarchy can control Scottish law. And, and you know, the, the security guards eventually backed off, but this real tour guide lady, she looked like someone's granny, she came over to us and she's like, are you two journalists? And I was like, no. And she's like, we had to arrest some journalists a, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago because they were asking the same questions and it was, you know, they were, you know, it was like sedition was the phrase that she used. <laughs> what I'm the like, fuck? I'm like, what is this? Is That's this like the 1700s? Like, is it King Henry VIII? Are we getting tried for questioning, the, you know, the monarchy's <laughs> authority? And that was what it was like. It was such a bizarre sensation. And I'm like, I remember getting out of there and Mothman was just like stunned. He's like, what the fuck was that? What do you mean you can't question it? I'm like, you can question it, you just can't do it in Hollywood when there's police walking around and like political figures who can hear you. Yeah. Um, so that was like, it was a surreal experience, but I, 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 I mean, I that, knew, when, you know, when was that? What year was that? Because I think it probably... 2000 and, 2011. I'm wondering if they've changed that since. I'm just thinking because there's quite a lot of, I would say, like, you still, like, I think a lot of the politicians in Scottish Parliament still need to technically pledge allegiance to the, like, the monarchy when they, when they swear in at the start of Parliament. But I think, let's just say there's quite a lot of people who uh, have started to, oppose that i think the scottish greens are really good for stuff like that the scottish greens absolutely detest they the monarchy they don't give a, they fuck. Don't give a they will fuck say whatever they want it's yeah so it's it really good um but yeah i think uh like th- that bit's always really annoyed me just like because you should be swearing allegiance to the people who elected you that's yes. it um, your country yeah um, to your constituents and everything else, but they don't, they pledge it. I mean, this is a, such a minor thing. I was in Girl Guides. I was also in Girls Brigade. Yeah. And when we were children, you had to pledge allegiance to the Queen. Yeah. When I, was, I was growing up. I was the and same I in the Boys Brigade. Absolutely yeah, despised it. it. <laughs> and I remember saying to my dad, because my, my dad's always been very anti-monarchy. My mum's kind of on the fence. Mm. And I remember saying to my dad, why do I have to pledge allegiance to the Queen? And he, he looked at me and went, what? And I'm going, they may, every single week, they make us pledge allegiance to the Queen and salute a Union Jack. Yeah. And we weren't allowed to sing Flower of Scotland. We weren't allowed to sing any Scottish songs at the campsites because it was seen as incendiary yeah. and, like, inflammatory. And we're like, we're in Scotland. Yeah, I mean... We can't, you know, like... Yeah, for... it was such a weird experience. That was one of the things that eventually drove me out because I was like, I don't feel comfortable saluting a Union Jack. Yeah, for me, it was like the the Boys Brigade was very very similar. Uh, I was at the Boys Brigade right up to Company section. You had the Anchor Boys Junior section and Company section, and I think that 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 that, that dangerous mishmash between um, you know Christian study and. <laughs> And support yeah. support the monarchy, uh, and and the and the UK. I was like, oh, I hate it here. <laughs> I uh, I yeah. swiftly exited as soon as I possibly could because it was. Just well, that like, was also, 
that was also my thing. It was I was getting heavily into paganism, and they were making it known <laughs> that they did not like that. And I remember turning around because it was held in the church hall. I remember turning around and going, "That's a pagan god on the side of the church." <laughs> and it was like it was an old green man. That it, the green mm. man's not an old god, but it's from the, like the Victorian era. And yep. like that's a pagan god. That's a gargoyle. That's a beam. And they were just like, "No, no, no. Those are Christian, you know." Things. And I'm like, "No, they're not." <laughs> that yeah. was like my mother got a letter saying we don't want joy to not come but if she doesn't come we're also not going to complain so it was that kind of like anti-monarchist anti-christian streak that was born like it's not even anti-christian it's anti-authority that comes with a lot of these establishments yeah and Um, to to be honest i'd see that that was like I, i would actually say that that pushed me to my awkward teenage boy atheism phase more than anything else and i think it like the role of the kind of like authority aspect of that played way more of a part because i reckon i wouldn't have been so so edgy (laughs) um if if i hadn't have had that kind of weird boys brigade upbringing where it was like kind of queen and queen and country mixed with like just studying Bible stories are fucking atrocious now. That I, think I, mean, I, I remember standing doing the, you know, the girl guide salute and doing the whole, like I pledge allegiance to the, the flag and to the queen under God. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm standing there and I'm going like it genuinely, I think if that hadn't been a thing for me, I would have just coasted. I would have been normal. And instead <laughs> I went full on. Like I was, you push back. <laughs> you do. You, you push back. You go, push fuck back. no. Um, I was the person that was, you know, in, in trouble because I was, you know, using the bonfire that they were teaching us how to make to make like spells and shit like that. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, how is that any different from a prayer? I, I caused chaos. I was absolutely like, how are spells any sowing sowing discourse in the girls' brigade? You could see the younger ones looking at me and going, "She's got a point," and that's when the teacher was just like, "Fuck!" Like, like, go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I mean, the thing is, so Charles has had his big special day. Um, the Metropolitan Police had an absolute doozy arresting the protesters, and then the day after, they tasered an unarmed man and shot two dogs on on video. Right, so they've they've not had a very good PR week. <laughs> since then when, when does the metropolitan they're either you know kidnapping women holding them down in protests or killing yeah. people or planting drugs on people or they're going after immigrants like when when are they having good pr they're not good. yeah you know yeah that's it's, very fair um but the monarchy was a lot of people going but this is supposed to be a celebration and meanwhile the police are out with batons and just yeah. beating fuck out of people and you're just like I mean, so th- there was a story that I saw where it was like, uh, and the thing is, is I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm annoyed that this story exists. I'm obviously annoyed that it happened to the woman, but I'm also annoyed that the story exists because she got placed higher on the, the kind of national news list because she was a royal super fan. Now, she was a royal super fan who was invited to the garden party prior to the coronation. And she was standing on a bollard or something like that, taking photos of the coronation procession. But she was she she unfortunately stood next to some uh, just stop oil pro- protesters, 
and was arrested and held for fucking 18 hours and she 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 went to the news about it and she was like that was a that was a once in a lifetime event uh, i was i was all ready to take photos of it but they they arrested her because they thought that she's a she was a protester the thing is is that i don't think the i don't think the point of her story was kind of the police behavior at the at the coronation i think she was just complaining about it from a this sucks for me kind of perspective so get my pictures i yeah. didn't get to see the coronation and it's, no and it's, i was wrongfully arrested because there's a systemic problem within the police <laughs> yeah so it's like yeah I, i'm both on a oh that definitely shouldn't have a, have happened to her but also uh why did she get more attention than the other peaceful protesters who did nothing wrong um so yeah, there's there's that there's that element to it as well. But we're a week on. Uh, Charles had his special day and has done fuck all since. Um, the the thing is, is that I think he will need a separate coronation in Scotland, which is a much smaller affair. But I think it's traditional that there is the kind of coronation down in Westminster, and then there's like a smaller many coronation here um yeah. which sucks so yeah not looking forward to that and why does he get two and that's just that was like hey the, more public the money king, the king and the queen get two birthdays why like why is that a thing why do they get two coronations why do I, they get two birthdays like yeah money yeah they get public <laughs> money. yeah it's, and then you have people that are going oh but yeah like uh, they bring in tourism it, For yeah, Sly managers, nah. fine. Like, they don't need them. All, all I'm saying is that France makes more money per year off of tourists to all of its palaces that are empty than we do out of... Cause, I mean, they're, they're, like tourists come to see the buildings. They don't come to see the... Who gets the chance to see the people? I'm just saying the French had a pretty solid idea, you know? Yeah. Let's get rid of all of the monarchs and then open up the palaces and make bank. That's the one thing my one of my editors has said that has continually tickled me pink every time they've said it is may he have the luck of the Charleses before him. Which <laughs> yeah. if you're not aware of your history, one got beheaded and one died mad from syphilis. So, you know, fingers crossed. So, Bob, you're asking us to explain the special Scottish stone he had under his chair, which, to be honest, I I was of kind of two minds when it came to this. So, like, it's it's called the Stone of Destiny or the Stone of Schoon, um, Schoon being a place in Scotland where it was from. And it's a stone that was previously used where, like, all old Scottish kings of old were uh, were crowned on, right? And it was a big thing. I think it was during the 1950s where, like, as part of the Union and all the rest of it, Union of the Crowns, the stone had been in Westminster Abbey. Um, I think it was Westminster Abbey at least for, you know, a couple of hundred years. And a bunch of students from Glasgow, I think it was four students from Glasgow, went down to London and stole it uh, and stole it back. And that was really quite a pivotal moment in terms of like Scottish nationalism um, because it 
like I mean it's literally the the king or queens of England getting you know sitting on a throne with the stone of destiny under it it couldn't be more kind of symbolic of like the subjugation of you know Scotland mm-hmm. as a nation blah 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 it's a stone and I can't wait until it's sitting in a fucking museum somewhere and we don't talk about it with anything like with anything because I I don't care that much about it however i would have thought it would have been fucking funny if the government the scottish government had put up a bit of protest about it being moved it would have been really funny hey look at holly i need to show you her tail she's going <laughs> absolutely bananas in the background <laughs> hi do you want to be on camera when does she not want to be on camera <laughs> um but yeah the, the the stone of destiny is like there, it was it was taken back down to Westminster Abbey to be placed underneath the chair, the gilded throne that uh, Charles sat on, and had a crown worth millions placed on the top of his head. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much what it's for, and I'm kind of looking forward to it not being that relevant. Uh, it needs to be in a museum. Um, yeah, it is. A, it's, it, it's an important it's cultural a, artifact. Yeah, so it's um, like a cool historical artifact, but I just I don't want it to have a use. I want it to be a thing with a good little plaque beside it that we go. This is what it was used for, and that's kind of cool. Um, we could put it in a glass case under a chair in a museum in Scotland, and everyone could just have turns sitting on it. I've, I, that would be that'd be good actually. That'd be funny. Um, but yeah, I think. You know, well, again, not really heard much about the monarchy this week because, as you say, they have these big lavish events and then they fucking disappear and they just squirrel money and spend taxpayers' money. Um, so I don't expect to hear from them for a while. I am, there'll probably be a, a title or two given out. Um, he'll do some basic kingship or he'll knight some people and be like, oh, look at me, I'm such yeah. a benevolent modern ruler as he continues to uphold yeah. a The thing is, he's, he's what? Old. He's like 74 or something like that? Yeah. Like, is he fuck going on a royal tour? Like, I mean, he's not worked all of his life, but like, I can't imagine him getting crowned king and then him like, oh, you're going to be visiting Canada and you're going to be visiting Australia. You'd be like, oh, fuck, I have to. Like... You know, like that, like not not of any disrespect for those guys, but he can't be arsed. He's fucking ancient. You know, he's, he's king, and he, he's probably sitting there going, "I'm king. Why do I have to do anything?" Yeah, but it, it's. I mean, he's done the royal. He's done the royal tours before as the the, the Prince of Wales. Yeah, um, he did all that with um, Diana, which I am still resolutely referring to him as Princess Diana's ex husband. Um, <laughs> I'm not even a particular particularly huge Diana fan. I just think it's funny to be yeah the mm. the whatever but um oh sorry did you did you see it was i it was one of the mbes or the cbs or something like that and they decided to do a a twitter thread on Meghan markle and how it oh it was fucking bad like you know it was going on about how she'd been divorced therefore it was obvious that she was not a good judge of character therefore was ill-fitting to be part of the royal family. And it's like, Charles and Camilla are right fucking there. And <laughs> like, had Camilla's been divorced. They had a fair... Yeah, it's like, fucking hell. 
Um, but yeah, just another is. Uh, to be honest, a lot of monarchists and like a lot of like full-on royalists have this like ridiculous turn-on vision when it comes to the monarchy to the point where it's embarrassing. Like, yeah. like the 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 blinkers are on like even more so than the horses that pull the carriages. Um, like they they just they don't. I honestly don't think there's any sort of like critical thinking or thought in them. Um, the, the thing is, they're happy with the way the world is. Mm. And that scares me more than anything. Like, the, the <laughs> idea that you can be happy with the way this world is right now, that you support a monarchy, tells me more yeah. about your character than if you called me a slur. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> okay. okay, you're, you're going to be you're polite about it, but you're still okay with this. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'd, ra- I'd almost rather you were up front and called me the slur. You know? Um, it's just, it's it's such a weird disconnect from from me someone who i mean i grew up very politically active my dad's mm-hmm. always been snp and he's always been anti-monarchy and everything i mean i used to go to rallies on my dad's shoulders there's probably a photograph somewhere of three-year-old me holding a sign mm-hmm. that's like you know abolish the monarchy but it's it's so weird to me for that disconnect for some people to go yeah i quite like being oppressed yeah I quite like my tax money being put into useless things instead of fixing the roads or the infrastructure or, you know, making sure children can eat. You know, it's such a weird mentality that I just cannot identify with. Um, And part of that is growing up working class and poor. Part of it is growing up very much politically aware. But then also it's just from looking around the circumstances and seeing that the everyday people need better. They deserve better. Like... So many human rights are being violated in the UK right now. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're throwing a two, two million party so a man can put his mother's hat on. You know, it's hey, just, two, two million is just a, the two million is the uh, conservative estimate of the crown that he put on his head. Yeah. And like, it's just all of fucking all nuts. All <laughs> stolen jewels from when they yeah. colonized the world. Well, that's the thing. There's a there's there's the the scepter that he had um, mm-hmm. that has one of the it's it's priceless, obvious, but it's it's like one of the largest diamonds. I think it's called like the heart of Africa or something. Is yeah. embedded in this fucking scepter. It's just oh man, it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. It's just such a. I don't know. It's. I keep using the word colonizer, but it is a very much we're proud of, we're proud no, of the colonization and the harm we did. And it's just like, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm very much like, I didn't grow up being aware of the role Scotland played in a lot of the British Empire until I was much, much older. Yeah. But that was also because we weren't allowed to learn Scottish history when I was in school yeah. because it was seen as being anti-English. Yeah. Um, it's slightly better now, it, I'm like to believe, but it is. It was, it was still like that. I mean, that's the span of ten years between you and me. Yeah. Like my the, the, the span of that ten years, we weren't allowed to do Scottish literature in schools because it could be seen as a political stance. Mm. Um, and it's but now it's like oh well, you have like this kind of like this movement and like in Glasgow especially, they're trying to protest to change the names because a lot of the the, the you know the streets in Glasgow are named after slavers. Yeah. Like they're named like Jamaica Street and Campbell, and it's like the whole <laughs> there's only one reason that's the case, and it, and it's because they were slave owners. And yeah. Scotland, at least certain parts of Scotland, are trying to be like, 
hey, we don't want to be complicit in this anymore. But then you have these huge displays of wealth happening, coming from the head of the country who's claiming to be modern and to be like, you know, a fresh take on monarchy. There is no fresh take on monarchy. Yeah. With regards to the British, with regards to the UK, there is no fresh take on monarchy because the monarchy has always been a force of colonisation in the UK. Yeah, it's a good thing to say that. And sorry, just before we continue, cybernetic, it's the great star of Africa, not the heart of Africa. That's the name of the, uh, the, the diamond. It is the largest clear cut diamond in the world. Um, but yeah, we've got fact checkers for us in the comments. It's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're just they're just keeping us honest. Um, but it's funny. One of the speakers at the rally in Calton Hill, um, a woman called Malini Chakrabarti, um, she was talking about how Scotland's move towards a republic will be tied with our process of like almost decolonization as in we need to be hyper aware of our life of scotland's role in this because only through that will we then be able to actually formally distance ourselves from the monarchy in that way um it's interesting you're talking about uh, the like you know jamaica street and stuff like that as well because it was obviously barbados last year made uh, <laughs> managed to escape and um, they they've cut ties with the monarchy entirely but jamaica in the run-up to the coronation said that a mixture of royal visits and you all saw those terrible photos of kate and william visiting uh, jamaica um, so a combination of those royal vil- visits and this kind of all of the discussion around this coronation and Windrush had basically has made Jamaica want to accelerate its timeline. They're potentially having a referendum on the monarchy in 2024 now, which is fucking funny. I really you hope. Oh yeah, I, I honestly, I wish everyone in Jamaica well and getting rid of this shit. Um, it would be so funny. It would. It would be well fucking deserved. hilarious. It would be yeah. fucking, as a Scottish person, it's fucking hilarious. But yeah. it's also a major victory if they do. Oh, it's a massive victory for them. And then, of course, like again, uh, you mentioned Campbell as well. There's mm-hmm. a reason why Campbell's one of the more popular surnames in Jamaica. And it's uh, it's entirely Scotland's fault. Um, yeah. we, we did we did Jamaica pretty dirty there. Um, it's like, this is but, another yeah. tangent, but I don't know if anyone watches Sandington. It's the PBS masterpiece, BBC, whatever. It's them taking Jane Austen's unfinished last novel and turning it into a disaster that's incredibly un-Austen. But they have have entire, like, series, like, dedicated to the role of slavery and sugar plantations. And they have a, a, a black heiress who's fighting against sugar and trying to boycott sugar even though her wealth as the daughter of a, you know, a, a slave that was adopted by the the wealthy plantation owner. Mm-hmm. It's such a muddled, convoluted timeline, such a muddled storyline. But it's this whole, like, the family acknowledges that their money came from wealth and they hate it, but they don't give it away. And it's, all I work to better the lives of others, but why should I give up the wealth that my, my ancestors gave me? Whereas you actually have people that are ancestors of, you know, the, you know, there was that they interviewed some people that were ancestors of like um, slave owners when people were like, "Oh, we should get rid of the statues," and they cut to the people that were like the, the, the descendants, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we should throw them in the river. Like that, that <laughs> has no place here." 
but yeah. it was like an attempt of the BBC to be like, yes, there were some unethical things done. <laughs> but look, the, the people, like, they're happy like this. You can see it. And it's just like, it's such a weak storyline. It's such a, like, a. It a sounds terrible. <laughs> Um, sorry, just had a, a, a breaking news from the the national. Um, they they have said ooh. that there is no set date on when the Stone of Destiny will return to Scotland. Great, um, fantastic. What watch watches? We're gonna have to get a bunch of students for Glasgow to fucking nick it again. Uh, Do you fancy a heist? I've not been home in like five years. Let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fucking hilarious to be fair we'll tick right. talk it the whole time we'll just record the whole thing <laughs> right um, I think that's us we can wrap up our coronation talk as we, we transition to what remains of Edith Finch yes um, I'd played the game before and I replayed it before we had this chat Joy was this your first time playing it it was I, so I owned the game yeah. And I'd watched other people play it, but I never played it myself. Right. Okay. Um, so I knew I knew what I was getting into, but whilst I was playing it, it was an, a different level of unnerving. Because when you're watching someone else play, you can be kind of detached from yep. certain things. Whilst playing it, I found myself having well, certain parts of it. I was having like a full on ADHD crisis. I was like, <laughs> this is mult. There is so much multitasking happening right now. My, di- you know, attention's going all these directions. I'm going. Yeah, yep. this is a nightmare. This is awful. So, yeah. thank you for that experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're very welcome. So, uh, to give everyone the the lay of the land, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch is a narrative-driven game where you take the role of Edith, who comes back to a f- her family house after years and years of being away. Um, it's been left to her in a kind of will. Her uh, mum passed away and has given her a key. Um, and that key opens something within the house. Um, and like you start off on this boat and you look down at a journal on your on your kind of lap. And, uh, you know, she opens it and she starts reading from it. And, like, the the words and how the words are displayed on screen a lot in this game is really quite interesting. They do like, quite a lot of cool things with words. And, like, ev- everything's, everything's written. And whenever you see things in this book, like, bits of text will highlight and it'll, they basically use that as, like, scene transitions. Mm-hmm. So... The first view is like you're standing quite a bit away from this house and the house is like this. I I want to describe it as almost like a kind of series of unfortunate events, kind of monstrosity. Like it's it's such a silly looking house Um, as in there's a kind of normal house, but then it's got this kind of like climbing tower is like more and more rooms have been added on and it's got like you know the kind of wooden scaffolding that like makes it uh, just i'm trying to think has any have any of you ever seen a series of unfortunate events and i think it's like the third book how there's like that one that's attached to the cliff and it's like it's almost falling off and it's got all of the wooden supports underneath it it's kind of like wa- that, it's, right? waffle, it's waffle fraud just said in the chat. It's my house, but less awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My house is a, a bastard amalgamation of additions that don't make sense sometimes. Um, yeah. Not quite as bad as the, the, the Edith Fidge one, but it's very much like a... Um, 
almost like the house from Coraline a little bit. Like it's very like yeah. the attachments are kind of like latched onto this kind of older looking building and it doesn't make much sense. Um, which is a bit like the plot when you first get into it. You're kind of wandering around this house going, where the fuck at? Like, <laughs> yeah. what is this? And like the house itself is really interesting. So like you don't you don't go through the front door. The key doesn't open the front door. Instead, you have to co- like to enter the house. You crawl through the like the cat flap or the dog flap, the pet the dog flap. door, yeah. And you you kind of climb through there and start to explore the house. And you kind of go up through the garage and then it like through the kitchen and stuff. And what you kind of immediately notice is that every single door to a bedroom has been like sealed up with like foam like you cannot open the door at all and also every single door has like a outside in peephole installed so you can look with with names and dates (laughs) underneath it so like for example molly's bedroom nine like 1937 to 1948 or something like that is etched onto this door and like in a very official looking plaque but it's Mm -hmm. like you can look through the peephole into into these rooms and all of the rooms are sealed up um so there's only I, I, i suppose like this is about the finch family the finch family has a lot of people in it and they've all lived in this house at one time or another and you don't know really what happened to them uh, so you now get to like go through each room and explore and to start with you go into like a room owned by Walter where you find a book that has a padlock on it and you can use the key and opening the book with the key the book has a lever inside it and it like opens up pathways between the rooms and it kind of starts you on this weird maze-like journey throughout the house um going from room to room and learning all about the members of the family it's quite quite freaky like that i was not that phased by it first because we have that in our <laughs> <laughs> not quite the same no, setup I, I was we have yeah. We have see, in our basement. There's there's a, a door that was welded and concreted shut, and when you get into it, it takes you through crawl spaces that go through the bedrooms that are down there, and it's got like weird soundproof padding in it. Oh God! So when we opened that, we we're like, oh, we just unleashed a curse. Like we were <laughs> like, that, like we had to like saw it open. It was like, oh, we should we should have just left that. That was keeping something in there, is, but is like. It- I'm told that's not the normal expectation most people have. I, I wasn't. I wasn't weirded out by by the pathways. I actually, like all of the passages are really fucking cool. Like I'm just thinking, like if you were a kid in this house, hide and seek would be fucking amazing. Was my was my first kind of thought. Um, but on on your journey, you you go to the first the first real room that you find out a little bit is owned by Molly. Molly mm-hmm. was like, I think it's, it's supposed to be you in contemporary times. It's like, you know, it's 2017 ish in game. So like you're like, you're exploring this and like Molly's room, I think it was like 1937 to 1947. So Molly died when she was 10 and you get to figure out, what's what's going on uh 
Joy, do you want to maybe explain a bit about Molly's section? Because it's like, what the Molly, fuck? Molly gets locked into her room by her mother and she's hungry. Like that's, she starts her diary with, I was sent to bed hungry. So she was yeah. eating everything um, in the room. She was eating like her hamster's food. She was eating the toothpaste. She was eating poisonous berries off of a decoration. I think it was mistletoe, actually. It's like mistletoe, it's mistletoe berries. It's, it's holly and mistletoe, which are both uh, poisonous to humans. Yeah. Um, and after she does that, she starts having these visions where she's a cat. She's a cat chasing a bird. She, she escapes out through her bedroom window and she chases this, turns into a cat and she's chasing a bird. Well, she catches the bird and eats it. Eating the bird turns her into an owl. So she becomes an owl and she starts hunting rabbits. Yeah. But then her appetite can't be sated with any of these things. She eventually becomes a shark, which I actually laughed out loud. When she that was fucking... Shark. Because, because it, you're in the middle of a forest and you have to roll downhill to get to the ocean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it is like the fucking... It's like one of those like browser games that you played when you were at school. Yes. It's like you roll, you roll the shark down a hill, b- like bumping into trees and stuff. Um... um yeah, and then you get the shark into the water and even the shark's too hungry, so you become a sea monster that eats people. Yeah. Um, and it just keeps going and going until the monster gets into the house. The monster finds its way back from the ocean into the house. It crawls up through the toilet, which thank you for that nightmare. I finally got over <laughs> my fear of snakes in the toilet. You don't, um, you don't have more. a thing for tentacles in your toilet, no? No, no, I, I <laughs> need one now. Um, but... <laughs> The monster gets under her bed and she's aware of it there because she wakes up and she realises it's under the bed and the monster is waiting for her to fall asleep so he can eat her. And yeah. her last words that she writes in her diary is, we both know I'm going to be delicious. Yeah. And then it's implied that she dies. Yeah. And I think, like, it's it's left, like, the first time playing it, it's kind of ambiguous, but then it's like, it was obviously the berries that she ate, I, and she was, like, basically hallucinating or dreaming or yeah. whatever. Weird but that mistle, she was able to write in the diary. Yeah. <laughs> Mistletoe will make you trip absolute balls. It will, yeah. before you die, it will make you see colours only known to mantis shrimp. Um, <laughs> so, it yeah, it's kind of implied that it's that that kills her, but she's tripping balls all the time. But she's writing, but she her writing's fairly lucid for someone that's on a trip. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the theme for you go through the rest of the house and the family members all die in horrific manners. Yeah. Um, and it's and like it, they all die, and it's like it's all around the theme of this like Finch family curse, and yeah. it's like it got to all of them. <laughs> um, yeah. So like. From the one thing that I found quite interesting, like from in, about this game from a design perspective, is that the like the bits that you play because you play through the the stories of the of the people who die. So mm-hmm. because you escaped through the window to become the cat in Molly's story, you like escape through the window and progress to the next room of the house. That's kind of how it works. Um, and you end up going along to a room that I think built is it's like I think it's this the the grandmother's room, but it has a shrine to the to the great granddad. Yeah. And it tells you the story of how the Finches were like this like 
infamous family in Norway that were both very lucky and very unlucky to the point where to escape what they thought was the family curse the the great-grandfather Odin decided to set sail with the entire family house on a ship as in they moved the entire house to come over to America and they, I think they get about 500 metres away from shore yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it breaks uh, like the, the ship sinks, the house sinks with it, it's a total disaster um, and the, the guy goes down with it. And the and the guy goes down with it, leaving the rest of the family to basically get washed up ashore and to build a new house from from scratch. Um, See, so, that was my like the the idea of it being a family curse. I'm like, I would be leaving everything behind. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> why do you, yeah? Why would you take the house? It's like the only like, other thing it would attach to. <laughs> Just come over and build a new house. I know, like you're coming to America, build your own goddamn house. Like it, it was such a weird. The whole thing is weird, but I remember, like, as someone who grew up, we grew up believing there was a family curse, right, in our family, okay. and it turned out to be my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic mutation which can cause disabilities and health issues. But the family genuinely believed they were all cursed. So we had a lot right. of weird... This game was weirdly reminiscent to me of all the weird <laughs> shit people do when they think they're cursed. Because, right. like, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, it was the whole, oh, we're all cursed because, like, I, I don't remember what it was. It was something like, oh, they, they stepped into a fairy circle or something stupid like that. But it was this whole idea that we'd been cursed. And, I'm like, I was the one that was like, nah, it's genetics. It's a genetic disability. That's why all the women die in these horrible situations. Yeah. Um but that was like the kind of like the irrational things people do when they think they're cursed. My family not once ever brought a house with them. They were like, fuck <laughs> that. We're leaving nope. everything behind that could be cursed. Like it was very much yeah. like I was like, that's a that's a guy that's committed to being cursed. That's a guy who <laughs> wants to drown inside his own house. Oh, definitely. On the ocean. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so from from that section you continue and I think um you, you come out into like the twins room sam and calvin and mm-hmm. the so what the like what, there's quite a lot of, like there's quite a lot of good environment kind of storytelling here like obviously you kind of learn what happens anyway but like one of the things is like the back of sam and calvin's door has like side by side height measurements but like Calvin stops at like really hard at a certain height, and Sam continued to mark his height. So you like Calvin. Calvin's dead. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and you learn his weird story. You kind of climb up into it's like a wee play play pit that's designed to be like a rocket ship, and mm-hmm. you you learn his story. And he was on a swing on the edge of a fucking cliff who builds a child <laughs> swing set on the edge of a cliff and it's like who does that and like you have to you have to control calvin's legs and like one of them has a cast on it and it's like you're you're swinging backwards and forward and the whole idea is that it's it's sam narrating his brother's death because it's like what you're reading when you're viewing the story you're reading like sam's written a letter to his dead brother in like a kind of like oh you just wanted to fly kind of thing so 
Calvin is is swinging, and the idea is that you like you, you know you go around the branch that it's that is tied to, and there's a bit where like you know basically you build up enough momentum, and then the wind picks up, and you just continually going, and it launches. <laughs> like yeah, you see it in first person as well. It launches this boy like fucking like miles yeah yeah it's like he's he's gone he gets yeeted he's yeeted by the wind um and that is the that's the that's the second story or the third story and the the kind of the 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 next death so calvin's dead um next up i think is barbara Joy, I'll let you re- retell is the, Barbara. the Barbara's horror the, one. The child, the child, child actor. star, yeah. She's the child star, and it's kind of the sad commentary about what happens to child actors as they age. And um, the, the, you're reading a comic book, which I think is really interesting. That's cool. And it's the, the death of Barbara Finch. And it's like this whole, it's set up as the premise as she's trying to revive her career by going to a convention, and everyone wants her to do her famous childhood scream, but yeah. because she's aged, she can't do it anymore because she can't do the little girl high pitched squeal anymore. Yeah. And um, but then like the their dad's injured, so there's blood everywhere, and they run off to take him to hospital, and she gets left with her brother, and she can't go to the convention anymore. Her shit ass boyfriend tries to scare <laughs> her into thinking they're under attack from like hoodlums who are killing people. Yeah. And like hides in the fridge downstairs and frightens her and then in the basement he hides in the the basement fridge which of course everyone has (laughs) yeah it's it's, so weird she she throws him out because she's like oh if you're just gonna be an asshole just leave but she keeps his crutch for some reason and then you use the crutch as a weapon because it, it later turns out that you are under attack from like these this kind of like serial killer person so you're going through your haunted house and you're being hunted by this guy and you're using the passageways to get around him. And then you attack him and he falls down. But then when you get down to see his body, he's not there. And the doorbell rings, you go to answer the door and then you realize that it's actually people are inside the house with you. And yeah. for a brief second, it's set up that it's, oh, it's the convention people. The people from the convention came to see you because they love you. And she's so happy. And then she realizes, oh, these aren't people in costumes. These are actual vampires and werewolves. And, you know, she's so happy because she gets to give the performance of her life as she gets torn to pieces. Like yeah. She gives like a fantastic final scream before she dies. And it's like a really weird kind of like, oh, yeah, monsters are real. And they are fans of little girls and horror movies. And kind of like yeah. it's the, the her infamy that kills her because they want to give her her final send off. Um, yeah, it, it's weird. It's a lot of fun, but it's, it's very kind of like it's a fun uh, comic, but it's also kind of like is I think Edith remarks about her grandmother a lot throughout this, uh, throughout like walking through the house. She's like, it's weird that her grandmother made a shrine that included this like like tabloidy comic about the death of her daughter. It mm-hmm. seems a bit fucked <laughs> you know it's like this kind of I, I i don't know how to really describe it it's this kind of like fucked up portrayal of it um, edith, so the original there's edith finch who is your character and then there's the original edith finch who's like the grandmother who wants yeah. to tell you all the creepy stories she wants to memorialize the tragedies yeah and um, so it's ed ed is Edie, the, the yeah. name that the game gives it is edith but it's edith yeah, senior ed and um but 
before I'd seen the game, and when I, you know, if I if I hadn't known what was happening, I would have been expecting her to be the final villain. Yeah, I would have been expecting a final showdown with Edie because it's like, oh, the little gem, gentle grandma that memorializes like all these tragedies in our family. Like, what's the one common fact? I to to be fair, I think it's I think she still is. We'll get to that, yeah. but I think she's still the 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 villain by the end of it. Um, but yeah, it's like it's weird. Like uh, one thing that I would say is that each of these, uh, each of these like stories kind of plays out a little differently. There's like quite a lot of cool gameplay stuff happening here. Um, like you know when you were playing as Molly and you're like you're doing like you're playing as the different animals versus like you know you you know you're going through a cat you're then an, you're an owl you know um mm-hmm. and then you were doing the comic stuff and it's quite cool because you're moving around within a comic strip and the, yeah. the the games are is all like comic book kind of styled you know lots of kind of heavy heavy shadows and outlines and stuff it's quite cool um but the the cool thing about that story is that it also teaches you how to explore the next bit of the house so like there's a bit in the comic where it's like you you get the key to the basement by like unlocking like it's like you spin a music box and you keep on winding up a music box and the key pops out um so well, that, i guess the, the, the dad that built it liked to make the house into a living puzzle because nothing says well adjusted like turning your house into a labyrinth <laughs> um, yeah and it was like, oh, you have to, yeah, you turn the music box and the music box keeps playing and then the key pops out and then you can get into the basement, which is otherwise locked at all times. <laughs> which um, is also really fucking weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you then you then venture down into the basement and you go to the fridge where the barber's boyfriend was hiding in the original, but you find that the fridge is actually a secret passage because while... Barbara was getting murdered or getting killed in the comics. The her her brother that she was looking after, Walter, was hiding under his bed. And what you learn is that after that, Walter decided to live under the house for thirty years. So you venture down through the fridge, through to this like secret path, and you find. A, prepper bunker. Yeah, it's like right. Walter's prepper bunker, uh, where the, the the stories is that. Uh, in fact, that's the thing. In Edie's room, there's like a there's a newspaper where it's like a mole man lives under the like lives under the Finch house. Um, but it is it's it's Walter who when you're doing his story like this one's a bit more simple in terms of gameplay it's not as interactive but it's you basically just you're you're un unscrewing un you're opening a can of peaches with a with a can opener over and over and over again as 30 years yeah for like as as the years tick by on a calendar kind of beside you um and it's all about like walter's journey to build up the courage to where he eventually leaves the home and instead of going up through the basement he goes like down into like another section of the bunker that he lives in and takes a sledgehammer to a wall where he 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 gets out he kind of steps out onto like a, a, a railway tunnel he's in a railway tunnel yeah 
and like you know the music swells and he's really hopeful and he's saying oh i'm so glad you know like i managed to get over my my fears i'm looking forward to one like even just one more day and he's like i can't wait to try all the all the food and then he gets fucking hit by a train (laughs) like confused about because they're on an island and it's implied that theirs is the only house yeah i it's it's yeah I don't quite know, but he, he got flattened by a train. He gets flattened uh, by a train. He does. And so then, so then you end up leaving, like you, you, you basically leave his bunker in the same way that he left his bunker. And one thing that I thought was really sick is there's a memorial to Walter where he got hit, and there's a there's like a toy there's like a toy train. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> I feel like that's an ED thing. She just put a toy train on top of where you got hit by a train. And I'm like, I think he <laughs> killed you. I think the family curse of ED is just killing people. ED is just killing people. But uh, yeah, you then go out onto like a beach area and you go up to the you go up to the cemetery and you learn that the, <laughs> the Finch family curse is so strong that when they got washed ashore, they they built the cemetery before they built a house. Um, I mean, goth respects goth with this one. <laughs> I would do the same, but yeah, it's just very. It, it is like that kind of like, oh yeah, like Ed put everything into designing the cemetery. Like the the narrator yeah. actually tells you, Ed designed every inch of the cemetery, and I'm like, why yeah. is Ed so invested in the cemetery? <laughs> yeah. Really invested because it's a pet cemetery as well. Um, yes. It's both a pet cemetery and a, and a regular cemetery, and like all of the, y- you would think that all of the, I mean some sorry some of the graves have like quite tailored personality traits to the people, but then it also has a personality trait that's tied to their death as well. Yeah. Which is kind of strange. Um, and then you've it's got... It's again, total serial killer thing. It's almost like a trophy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you kind of... You do a lap of the cemetery. There's no story or anything there from a... Like, there's not another story or another death that's happened. But you end up, like, climbing up into, like, a treehouse and then scrambling along to the roof. And then you get in at the top. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember who the next... Pe- Sam. Sam. There you go, I'll let you do Sam because it's fucking... I laughed a little bit just because it's like, you fucking dumbass, Sam. So Sam is... uh, So Edie is the great-grandmother, isn't she? She's the grandmother. The grandmother. And Sam and Edith, your character's mother, and Sam are siblings, I believe. So Sam takes Dawn, who is... Edith's mother mm-hmm. on a hunting trip to hunt for stags and stuff because he's also very like doomer and preppy and like you need to know how to survive you need to know how to hunt and it's like she's taking pic- the whole thing is taken through pictures uh, so every time you take a picture you get another piece of narrative about like you know what the dad's doing and it's very scenic at first ah. it's very nice you're taking you're taking pictures of like coffee mugs and like the the lake and birds and deer and then it cuts to you are Sam and you're holding the camera and you're filming Dawn um, shooting a deer that she really doesn't want to kill. Yeah. And she, when you click it next, it's the, the scene is the, the animal being killed 
and it then transitions to Don's crying over this fallen animal and you know Sam's trying to trying to get a good selfie shot with both of them together and she makes the comment of it's still moving it's still moving and he's like no no that's normal it's just twitching because it's dying and then he picks up to hold up for the camera like you know the, the kind of standard hunter pose and it's not dead yet and it yeets them off the cliff and yes. Dawn basically sees her father plummet to his death, or his uncle. I think is it the uncle or the yeah, father? I think I yeah. think it's her father actually. I think it's her father too. But yeah. Sorry, Edie's the great. Yeah, fucking hell. This is sorry. I'm I'm looking up the it's, family tree yeah. at the moment. It's so it's Odin. Then it goes Edie's Edie and Sven, who have Molly, Barbara, Calvin, Sam, and Walter. Sam and Kay have Don, Gus, and Gregory. And then Don has Lewis, Milton, Edith. It's a very, it's very convoluted. It's a yeah. very kind of like, you're trying to go through this family tree that's just like, <laughs> who is who? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Sam, Sam plunges to his death because he did not in, put the animal out of his suffering. He was willing to let it bleed to death slowly. And the funniest uh, thing is the camera captures this in the most because it's on a timer it captures it in the most like ridiculous fashion um, and it's weird that it's just the death photo is just in a folder in the house Like why would you keep it? I mean, yeah, of all the serial, things Serial killer vibes from ED Man because it's just like yeah, yeah we keep all these photographs of all of our dead relatives as they're dying it's just like <laughs> okay and understandably, after that, the, the narrator tells you that Dawn leaves for a while. Yeah. Uh, she fucks off to India to, to teach English. Good for yeah. her. <laughs> uh, gets married, has kids, and then unfortunately comes back for whatever reason. I think the da- I think her husband dies. Her husband family dies. Back. The family move back in with Edie. Yeah. And then shit continues. And then the curse continues as it goes after Dawn's children, yeah. who is... Edith. Edith, who is walking around with us at the, who is the main character. Yeah, and then so, Lewis and Milton, who yes. we'll come on to, and then from Sam, you after Sam, you've probably got one of the saddest ones in my mind, just because it's like it's a bit it's a bit tough. But there's there's Gregory and Gregory, you you're playing as a baby. You're in an a, infant. You're just quick, you're a, quick trigger warning. It is an infant death. Yeah. And and it's in it's it's in first person. You're playing as this baby, and you've got what is the name of that song? Is is it? It's fucking. It's one of the a fuck. What is it? It's the one of the ballet ones. It's a waltz. It's a. Is it not one of the ballet songs? It's not Dance Macabre, no. Um, is it Nutcracker? Is that the Nutcracker? I'm seeing a <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> if you like classical sounding music, you should check out the movie. I don't want that Reddit. Come on. I might... Walt, Waltz of the Flowers by Tchaikovsky. Ah, that, that's Okay. I knew it was a vault. I knew it was a vault. I can't believe none of you fucking got that from my amazing rendition of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's playing, and you're playing as a baby in the bath, and 
the you know the the mum goes away to answer the phone and you've got this kind of tense bit you know the baby's just playing like there's a frog in the bath there's a couple of ducks there's like it's all the baby toys and like more and more get added in the imagination of the baby um and eventually the mum comes back and turns the like you know turns the bath off and say look it's time to get out and um then the phone goes again and and she leaves and this is this is all told through a letter that's like a note that Sam wrote to his wife Kay at like to finalize their divorce to like to say that it is like you're not to blame for what happened to uh, Gregory yeah which is total bullshit and is a hundred percent her fault she left a fucking baby unattended in a bath and sorry i feel really strongly about this she she left an unattended baby in a lot of bath water like no she drains the tub that's the thing she does drain the tub does she drain the tub i thought she, she, does, she does. i she thought she got an update i thought she turned the tap off no, she pulls the, the the tap's not on. She never turns the tap on. It's the weird right. person that turns the tap on because she actually right. She, okay, she come in. She pulls the plug. The phone rings again, and she goes to talk to them. And then whilst he's playing in the tub, he wedges the the the, the thing drain back in place, and the and it come the water comes back on because he's accidentally knocked over the the the, the bubbles. That's what that is. She does actually drain it. So okay. it is a I think like, I think we play the infant's retelling of it as opposed to what actually happened. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's pretty grim because obviously you've got this really cheery music while this is happening. And like you're controlling the frog and there's an achievement you can get with the frog for knocking all, like Gregory's name is on the kind of sticky letters on the mm-hmm. on the bathtub and you get an achievement for knocking them all off which i thought was pretty grim but yeah this frog you can like bounce on the wheel and you end up turning the tap back on and yeah yeah like that ends up being like the end of it's really weird cuz you track like from a first person perspective well, you you are the baby, and then you turn yeah. into a frog. The baby turns into a frog, and he's and then, heading towards the light. Yeah, you you swim towards the plug hole, which is the light. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, pretty grim. Um, I'll I'll let you go. But the next one's Gus, which is like right next to Greg. Gus is he's the kite, isn't he? He's the kite one. Yeah. So the family's getting remarried. The, the, the dad, is it Gregory's dad that's getting remarried? Somebody's getting yeah, remarried. Sam, Sam's, getting, Sam's getting remarried, although I don't yeah. think we learn who to. Yeah. And Gus is really unhappy, so he's standing, uh, flying a kite on a very stormy day on this wedding, and you're <laughs> flying the kite through the letters. Yeah. Um, otherwise the narrative doesn't proceed unless you do that. Yeah. And then you have to find the letters as they're mixed in with debris around the beach. So you're gradually picking up more and more debris with your kite. And it culminates in this huge storm where you trash the wedding tent. And it's kind of implied that you get kind of blown away by the, the storm. from like you Again, yeah. you're kind of like carried out to sea by, by your kite. It's, so it's another, another child that should not be allowed to play near the shoreline. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'd say that's another kind of vague one as well. Like, yeah. because you don't, 
Like it, ah, it looks like you're swept away by the actual wedding tent, but it could just be that you, you know, die in the storm. Yeah. Um, it just it look it's a, it's very much a series of unfortunate events. It is that yeah. very much that kind of vibe where a series of implausible events happen and somebody <laughs> dies. Um, but he Gus is like a kind of like he doesn't want a stepmother. He's yeah. just adamantly flying his kite this whole time. Like I don't want a stepmother. I don't want a new mother. <laughs> and um, like there's a bit when he gives his dad the finger during the does. ceremony. He's he's on his kite and it's like. <laughs> Dad's like, come for the picture, and Gus is like, no. <laughs> I do what I want. Um, and that all takes place in like a weird nursery room, but then you can go like ups. Like, there's a, this, to be fair, this sounds amazing, but there's like a climbing wall that you have to go up, and then you climb out the window, and then you can like go further up. And this is you starting to scale the. The fucking massive tall it just extension. Sounds like every tiny house I've ever seen. Oh yeah, I don't. I didn't put a staircase in. I put a climbing wall in. So yeah. that I'm old and decrepit, I won't be able to get into my loft bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's probably the most vague story that's Milton's, um, which is the like the flip book one. So Milton's an artist, and like when when Edith's mum moved her and her brothers back to this house. Instead of clearing out some of the rooms, which I suppose also speaks to the kind of mindset of Edie, she like added these massive extensions, like this honestly kind of Frankenstein extension to the house, which is like this tower of like wooden walkways and platforms. So you're kind of scaling this up. And uh, you end up in Milton's place. Now, Milton doesn't necessarily die. He just kind of goes missing. He vanishes, yeah. He vanishes, and uh, all that's left is like a flip book. And it's like yeah. the flip book tells a kind of story of Milton finding a magic paintbrush, painting himself a door in the wall, and then like opening it and going in and apparently I, I did look this up because it is the most vague story and it's like linked to one of the studio's other games um but like it's definitely not mentioned um yeah it's very vague like to me it's like he just ran away yeah and he left behind like the the book to be like oh hey i'm leaving i've had enough of this weird family <laughs> bye <laughs> yeah oh he's the protagonist of the previous game right that makes sense and then you climb up more and you've it's edith's kind of eldest brother um, it's the one that gave me the adhd panic this is the one that this I is the like. best one did you hate it it was like i could see myself so it is the way my brain works when I start when I get bored enough and I start disassociating my my hand and my brains are doing their own thing. Like I, <laughs> when I worked at the checkouts, I would be completely glazed over, eyes not seeing anything, but I'd still be doing the hi, how are you, night, welcome to whatever, and I'd be doing <laughs> all the things. I'd ring everything through, 
and I wouldn't actually see what I was doing. I would just trust that I was pressing yeah. the right buttons for the machine to do the thing. Yeah. So the fact that he's standing there doing this while he's working in a cannery and there's a sharp blade next to his hand, I'm like, I would lose my fingers immediately. <laughs> I am that sort of person who does phase out my heads and other things. I'd be so into the routine of like slice the fish. Like, like I would, I would have lost a hand on the first day. Yeah. That was, so, yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll let you I'll let you tell this one because it's, it's my it's my absolute favorite. I think it is this, a good one. It the, is a good one. This is the best fully, story for me. It fully engaged my fight or flight panic. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want, Just I can do it. I, I don't mind. No, it's uh, fine. It's fine. But cool. You are you start out and you're you're standing there and you are in the cannery and you're picking a fish up and you're taking it. You're cutting the head off with this automated machine and then you throw the fish away. And the longer you do it, the more bored the character becomes. And like a little thought bubble starts to appear on the other side. And it's him starting to imagine a scenario where he is a hero walking through like a, a dimly lit dungeon yeah. going from place to place. And meanwhile, you're still doing the fish and with the sharp blade and everything else. And the more you do it, the larger the thought bubble becomes until it gets to such a point that the thought bubble consumes everything and you can't actually see what you're doing anymore. You're relying purely on muscle memory. Yeah. To do the, the the thing with the sharp blade, and his story is actually being told from his psychologist. Psychi view? Yeah, he's he's, he's psychiatrist. Yeah, he's just. To, yeah, he's he's like he he was, he just got out of kind of a psychiatry, like planned program. I think he's out of a facility yeah. for substance misuse, and it's kind of implied that his room smells like weed when you're in it. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of implied that this is him, like this, the therapist or whatever is just like, I was encouraging him because imagination and creation is good and it gave him a feeling of power of control over his surroundings instead of like whatever. Yeah. And it kind of implies that he becomes more and more obsessed with the imagination reality where he actually becomes king in yeah. his imagination. He becomes king of this magical world. He makes music. He, you know, you're sailing down a river and it gives you the choice to marry a beautiful prince or a handsome princess. Yeah. And you, you you can decide that, you know, what quests he go on. So you're, the mouse is doing the hand motion for the fish and the thing. And then your keyboard hand is moving the hero at the same time through the hero's narrative. Yeah. So you're, it's kind of like um, rubbing your belly and patting your head at the same time. Yeah. Um, and you're having to do both those things. And I had to pause several times because I'm like, I really struggle to do, to do that sort of thing for prolonged periods of time but it gets to the point where it's like the, the psychologist is telling the mother there is nothing you could have done he was just so far in this unreality yeah that he didn't want to come out and he and, and, he, and he preferred it to his, he prefers it to his, to his mundane life yeah like, and there's sorry i know you've already said it but like one of the coolest things about the, the game design here is that like eventually the entire screen is just this fantasy but you've still got the if you think about it like layers in photoshop you've still got the fish getting like flopped onto the screen uh like over the top of it so you're you're still being able to do it and it is that dual thing i was playing on the xbox and it's actually just the two toggles um which is quite cool 
for for me on the keyboard it was a trip because I'm like my mouse is doing the repetitive yeah L and then my hands are do, like my left hand is doing something completely different yeah and I was like this is hell this is not intuitive <laughs> to my brain at all but the ending's really um, in the ending you are outside of yourself looking in at your brother. And you see yeah. him standing there and he's not even picking up fish anymore. He's just standing there, his hand doing the repetitive motion. You get on the the kind of conveyor belt that kills the fish or whatever, and it takes you fully into this realm of fantasy that he's created. Yeah, and, and he's, he's getting crowned. He's going to his coronation. Hey! We, the last, we... Getting back in. The, the last thing he has to do is put his head down to be crowned by his queen and he puts his head down on top of a guillotine shaped pedestal thing yeah. and the blade just comes down and it ends Yeah, and it's kind of implied that he puts his head into the fish killing machine at work Yeah, and I... that was, I had to pause the game I had to get up and walk around the, I, the infant one I was not as distressed by yeah. but this one I was like I could see myself doing that I could fully my ADHD ash would just disassociate and I would accidentally kill myself like it is yeah. just that <laughs> level of like huh this tapped directly into some deep panic inside of me <laughs> like, yeah. unexpected but I'll take it like it, it was it was really fascinating it was really interesting the way it was done yeah, um, as as like that that bit alone is just incredible from a, a game design yes. perspective because it just it works it works really really well. Um, so after yeah after you kind of find uh, you know Lucy's story kind of comes to an end, um, you climb up to the highest point and that's that's Edith's room. So it's like your your old room, the main character's room. You go in, you sit down, and you basically start writing everything that the your characters narrated. Um, also pregnant, twenty two weeks pregnant, and well, finding over all these houses and hills and God knows what. So yeah, and uh, so you end up writing all that, and you kind of find I think it's like she she basically she's recalling the kind of final night because after lewis died um the mum was like we are all leaving this house we are all being the only three that are left which is edie or edith senior don the mum and then edith herself and there's a there's an argument at the dinner table uh Edith's kind of like excused to go and get something from uh, Edie's room. A gift, yeah. A gift, yeah. And she can like hear her mum and her great grandmum uh, arguing. And it's like, I mean, it, for me, that's kind of like the most important bits here is like, um, Dawn says to Edie, it's like, your stories have killed my kids. Mm-hmm. Um and you end like when Edith picks up the 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 gift, um, our mum kind of finds it, and they, you know they tussle over the book, and the book ends up ripping because basically the Edie's written all of the stories for Edith, and I've given it to her as a book. And well, she's written she's written a story about the house that sunk under the ocean. Yes, I sorry. desperately want to know more about that, and you don't get to find out. I yeah, and I, to be honest, I think that's the best thing though. Is like it's clever in terms of how they do it. Like obviously there is that cliffhanger, kind of. Oh, I really want to find out, but I think 
it, it plays into the ending of the game not seeing it because the whole yes. yeah Edie's saying that there was a point where it was like the lowest tide in history and she was able to walk all the way out to the ruin of the the house that are that Edie's dad had tried to sail from Norway um but then she she gets there and a light turns on in the house and oh ghost story and then it just it's cut by <laughs> Edith's mum ripping it out of her hands going what the fuck don't read yeah. that um and then she gets kind of like whisked away um and like the last thing you kind of see is um you like you have to turn the camera and you basically look at Edie who's like in a <laughs> I think she's in like a walker or something She's um, in like a Zimmer, Zimmer Yeah, kind of Zimmer frame thing. thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's watching them leave and she's refusing to leave the house. Like They were like, oh, the care home's going to come and take you. And she's like, no, they're not. Yeah. And, and they don't uh, find her. Yeah, she, I think she dies that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then you learn that like Don Don's mum had a, an illness that died. And then the game kind of ends where it's basically implied like you're you're the child of edith having been born it's kind of alluded to that edith died in childbirth yeah um and then the game kind of cuts to credits um and that's the yeah that's the full thing isn't it it's it is very well done it is oh yeah it's great it is masterful um, from a game mechanic perspective, it's really good too. Yeah, the only yeah. thing I missed, and I, like, I mean, from a gameplay perspective, I totally understand, but like, I did kind of miss like the ability to run, like see yeah. see Edith's walk in to the I house. I was like, I run a little bit, um, but yeah, it was it was really good, um, and it's one that you can probably analyze to to death. Because uh, obviously there's, I think having narrated a lot of that is quite obvious what killed a lot of them, as in each story um, is is tragic, but it's quite clear what did do. Like for, for Molly, it's not ambiguous. It's not a monster under the bed. It was the poisoned berries, the old gerbil or hamster food and mm-hmm. the and the full ball of toothpaste that she ate. Um, you know, I and for I mean like neglect. Oh yeah. A lot, a lot of it's just like you know parents not watching like again building a swing set on the precipice of a cliff face overlooking the ocean. But th- this like, is tell, wh- me, tell me you don't want kids anymore. Yeah, I mean this this is why I think like the the way that the the curse operates in the story is more as like. It, I imagine it was initially a coping mechanism, but then it just became like a weird justification for like yeah. doing dangerous shit. Like, because I think uh, you never hear how, well, you do hear how Sven dies, but Sven doesn't have his own story. But it's it said that Sven dies building a dragon-shaped slide onto the side of the house as like a fun thing for the kids to play on. And Edie always said that he was killed by a dragon as opposed to he was killed by a dragon slide that fucking He was killed broke. in a construction accident. Yeah. Because I'd, the house is so ramshackle built and not up to code. Yeah. So, But, like, I, I feel like a lot of it is... A lot of it's Edie's fault. Like, in regards yeah. to just, like, 
like spin. Like, so, like, <laughs> he was killed by OSHA violations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like obviously you can see what you want about like so. Edie, Edie, the mysticism of this family curse. It killed her dad. Her dad tried to sail a fucking house across the Atlantic. Um, it's kind of on him, really. Um, well, it's the kind of it's almost like they're they're this grand mythologization of their own family tragedy. Yeah, and it's like a commitment to the bit of the of the tragedy that it, it has to continue. It has to be romanticized. Yeah, because it's like. Who else would enshrine all these things but someone who is committed to? Oh, we're such a tragic, cursed family. It's like the Adams family are weird and kooky, and like kind of that is sort of like, oh yeah, it's so tragic. But they're not like, I don't know. It's it's almost like the opposite. Like the Adams family survive no matter what because they're committed to surviving and being together. Whereas Edie's family is like committed to being the biggest tragedy to have ever happened instead of actually taking responsibility for their family. And it yeah. starts with Odin just taking his entire house across the ocean yeah. and then ignoring weather advisories. And <laughs> yeah. Drunk. I like, and I mean, have, yeah. Molly, like, Molly's just an example of like, like, basically bad parenting, as in the way to deal with Molly for misbehaving was to send her to bed without any dinner. And. It led to a tragedy of Molly eating things that she shouldn't have had access to. There shouldn't have been mistletoe decorations in a room that a young child who maybe doesn't know all that stuff could eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like that, you know, that's that's Molly. Then you've got Calvin who fucking dies by playing on a swing set that's built on a fucking cliff's edge which by the way is it's interesting because obviously you see the kind of neglect and carelessness that leads to like the deaths of the kids but like he's he's got his whole leg in a cast when he's on the swing Mm -hmm. and it's like i wonder what stupid shit that like (laughs) the family got up to that led to that um also not just the cliff but like there's a there's a spiked white fence in front of, of in front of you as well. Oh, which, it's like uh, oh, you're just like, getting paled if you fall off the swing at a regular height. Yeah, um, and then there's Barbara's an interesting one. Um, Barbara, I because it's hard because she, you oh she's killed by vampires and werewolves and like, is it uh, like I'm guessing the boyfriend did it. I'm guessing it's the 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 boyfriend. Or it's, you know, some sort of stalker fan because the family yeah. there would be a child star and she wasn't protected from that. That would be my... Cause yeah. For what we learn about child, child stars, they don't get protected by their families that are exploited. So maybe yeah. the family just let, like, crazy stalker fans into the house and because it was money, hey? Yeah. Uh, so that S- should be it as well. Sorry, I'm just going to quickly let the boy out the room. He's uh, been a nuisance. Crying for his mother. Go on, you. You can hear the cat bell in the background. <laughs> Sorry. Boy was screaming. Um, yeah, I think, like, so... One of the things that I think's quite telling, and what I think Edie is... Like, this is why I think Edie's evil, right? But, like, the comic 
specifically references the 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 map of the house like that that it's only something that a family member would know and i think the thing that like hammers that the most is the fact that the comic includes how to open the basement yes i think edie colluded with some like you know unethical comic book creator to make like this myth of the myth of the family curse same with the the mole man thing in our, yeah her in brother the room. Like her, her brother underneath the, the the house and she's like oh yeah there's mole man it's like yeah your brother who's staying under there i think it was her son is it not is it, yeah it's it fa- family tree's wild <laughs> um but yeah it's a uh, and it well yeah i mean the fact that the fact that Walter didn't want to go up through the house, maybe he didn't want to fucking see his mum. It could be. I mean, he literally went down and took a sledgehammer out into a railway so he wouldn't have to speak to his mum or see his like family. Because um, he was still... He he was living in the house when Edith had moved back in. Yeah, she and, had no idea he was down there. Yeah. Um... I'm trying. I try to think who else. I mean, obviously the, the yeah, Sam. Sam being a stupid idiot with the deer thing, like that's just so obvious carelessness. Yeah, he's uh, very. He's got a lot of that kind of like the, the hunting paraphernalia that I because there's people that hunt to survive, and there's you know there's yeah. obviously like, um, indigenous it, communities to which hunting is very vital. To him, it was very kind of like doomsday preppery. I'm going Aye. to force my eight-year-old to kill an animal because she—that's the harsh reality of the world. Yeah, it's like, was no, he also in the army? I think he was. was yeah, army or marines or whatever. Um, yeah, because the, the thing the the narrator actually makes the comment he was committed to chasing death, like right. he was resigned to the family curse. He was like, "Oh, it's going to get me one way or another," and it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. nah, probably not want to do that. Um, Gregory, we've already talked about um, shouldn't have been left in a bathtub by himself. Uh, yeah, Gus probably shouldn't have let a young kid, even if he was in a huff on a stormy beach, like flying a massive kite. Yes. Yeah, maybe not the wisest choice. I mean, kids um, do need super, you know, they, they need supervision when they're doing. Some there, there's times when I yeah. can be like, yeah, I understand how accidents happen because you don't have eyes in the back of your head, and you do sometimes think, yeah, they'll be fine. But yeah. like, you have a family history of tragedy where someone has already fallen off the edge of this cliff. Yeah. Why are you letting a child fly a kite on one of the blustriest days in history? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah, it doesn't just doesn't seem like a good good choices. Um, Milton's was Milton vanished, which I'm I'm gonna read as in he didn't want to be around the family. Maybe it was too toxic, maybe Edie was too toxic. I don't know. Like he he, he left somehow. He uh, left to be in another game. That's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um Lucy's story I think is probably one of the more tragic ones though. As in from a Yeah. Like it wasn't really a neglect side because he was getting psychiatric help and, and all the rest of it, but I think it kind of speaks to maybe the home environment just being so fucking bleak. 
Because, like, I think uh, well, one of the things to be neglected to mention is that um, so Dawn, Edith's mum, sealed up all the rooms, and it was Edie that made all the peepholes into the rooms. Mm-hmm. And I like I, I think that's quite weird that obviously, you know, the house became this kind of Frankenstein. Um It's a very kind of like voyeuristic horror. It's that kind of like in all the haunted like castles and stories, the monsters yeah. always peering at you through like cut eyes through the portraits or the the yeah. this to watch you. Edie is the one putting these kind of like peepholes into place so that she can be a part of every aspect of their tragedy. Yeah. And it's very and, invasive. And and just like, I mean, the fact that Edie refuses to leave as well is like she 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 almost revels in the tragedy of it all, you know? Yeah. She's like she loves being around her. But yeah, Don sealed up all of the doors. Um, so that the kids wouldn't go and learn the stories, and I mean, like the I think the date on in fact, let's see if there's a there must be a map. Yeah, so there's a map that has the um the dates of them all, and Molly dies in like 1947, and it's like 2017 in game. I'm pretty sure. So, like, that room has stayed the fucking same for that. Like, they are, like, obviously, when families deal with tragedies, like, obviously, you hear about parents sometimes turning the kids' room into a shrine. Um, yeah. But it's, like, 1947. Fuck. Like, a long time to have something memorialized. Yeah. Um,. Interesting comment on how grief locked away or peeped at isn't actually processed and continues to haunt the family. That's a good way of looking at it, Tundra. Yeah. It is. It is that very kind of like the... It is that kind of like when you're processing trauma, you can't lock things away because you do not process them. Like that's a huge thing with like when people talk about triggers and stuff. Being doing the work for healing means that when you are triggered it doesn't cause you to completely collapse anymore whereas if you constantly try to lock things away and never think about it or never talk about it it actually makes things worse for some people and i think the game is very on point with like Edie is determined to just stay within the tragedy Um, and the the mum tries to kind of like block her kids away from it and block don don seems to be the most normal person in the family yeah and maybe that speaks to how she just dies of illness. Yeah. Because she she frequently makes attempts to escape it. And, like, I, I, you know, I think uh, not wanting to be too real with it all, but I've encountered people in my time who, when they've lost someone, um, like, obviously it's really important for, like, lots of people, but I know some people who, like... Maybe it's like some people who I, I lost my like I lost my grandpa when I was really young. I think I was like three or four, um, and like I, I know people who also lost their grandparents at age three or four. But like as as recent as like twenty twenty, we're still posting like annually on the death, mm-hmm. like you know, oh, I'll I'll 
like yeah and i'm i'm, I'm not like I, I don't want to kind of dismiss that connection i mean you you might at four years old have had a really tight relationship with your grandparent but like i i definitely know a lot of people who it's it's more about the display of tragedy than it is yeah. about the internal processing of grief um so i have a weird death in the family not too long ago on my family side and People who my parents had never seen didn't help. It was a very tragic circumstance. My, I had an uncle who was in a care home from the age of 12 onwards. Mm-hmm. And family members who had never once contributed to his care, had never shown up for Christmases or birthdays, they all showed up to the funeral and they were all taking pictures Yeah. at the funeral. All, all giving it the big one on the Facebook posts and stuff like media. that. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, and it always they, happens. And they, and they do it every year now. They post something about it, and it's like, yep. okay, well, you did show up for their life. Yeah, and it's that, that kind of really toxic kind of that. That is that's exactly what Edie feels like to me. It's that kind of toxic wanting to hold on to the tragedy because the tragedy makes you special. Yeah, and it it's, I, it's why I, I show I show Edie no quarter in this fucking game. Like I I don't think like, a lot of people, a lot of like I've seen quite a lot of like interpretation of Edie as this like sympathetic character who's just struggling and has had so much tragedy happens but like if you look at all of the like edith does quite a lot of commentary about like oh edie would have loved this or edie would like this or and then you see all the you know edie edie gives a report to the news and is the center of attention about the tragedy or like she doesn't say oh my husband died in a construction accident she oh my husband was killed by a dragon she like she revels in the attention and stuff of it so it's like maybe edie is the curse full stop that's it edie's the curse um, it would have been solved if they just left her in Norway. Yeah, the one, th- the one, yeah, the one thing that I I can kind of understand because you probably want to give that little bit of a teaser, but I did think that Edith dying in childbirth is was in a it was almost like an attempt to allude that there might be a curse, whereas I actually think that dying in childbirth is just a family tragedy that is normal and couldn't be associated with any curse i mean it's still so normal like in the u.s mortality rate for pregnancies is yeah. still a thing it's not ye olden times it's still very much a thing but yeah. i do think you're right i think the game was trying to be like oh but they gave us that little flash of the haunted house but who's to say that's not just Edie being an yeah. unreliable narrator and trying to make up more than it is yeah you know, who's to say there's not some like something like my situation where there's a weird health defect, yeah, and it's not been diagnosed because the family's like that is literally what happened in my family. Nobody wanted to unravel the mystery of the family curse. It took me going fuck this shit and taking myself to a geneticist because I'm like this is not normal. Maybe they have something similar. Maybe they're like the the Don dies because of a family gene defect that causes all these stupid accidents to happen. Yeah, like maybe there's just something. Maybe they have like a brittle bone disease or a blood disorder. Like, yeah. who knows? But the game does very kind of like try to like cop out with the like, oh, maybe it's the curse. And it's like, well, if it is the curse, the person we've just been playing the game as is doomed. Yeah. So good luck. Doomed by the narrative. It's, yeah, um, I suppose is is a kind of a kind of wish. 
that the last kind of decision from Edith was just to not share the story at all. Because, like, obviously you play as the kid and the kid is marking the the cemetery, like, the grave of Edith. Mm-hmm. Like, like, years on. And you're kind of like, oh, I wish you hadn't learned about all that. <laughs> Save yourself. Much um, happier knowing that your family's just a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Speaking from experience, like you, there's things you don't need to know. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I think uh, I think that was quite a comprehensive retelling of uh, it was, it was. what it means to be the fridge. It's a really good game, and I would recommend it to anyone yeah. who like not, not for if you've got problems with child and animal death. Maybe not for you, but yeah. it is a fascinating story, and the game mechanics are just like I. The game mechanics are stunning for it. I yeah. would never have thought to play a game that way until I did this. And I was like, wow, I hate this. It's genius, but my mind <laughs> not enjoy that at all. <laughs> yeah. No. All righty, folks. I think we will uh, wrap it up there because we have went yeah, on uh, a we're wee bit time. longer. There we go. See, we, we neglect you for a wee while on the, the podcast front. And then we, we redeem ourselves by giving you an extra long uh, episode. So hopefully that, that's a tick in a box and we, we won't get abuse on Tumblr asks about it. <laughs> I only um, had one ask that was shitty. To be fair, the others have just been like, "Hey, are you guys okay?" But uh, there, there was one that was like, "You're not committed anymore," and it was just like, <laughs> "I don't care." <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry that we're sorry that we've been hit by illness and burnout and everything else. <laughs> um, but no, for uh, those of you who are listening on uh, the podcast platform of your choice, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you are in the Twitch chat, uh, stay and hang around because we'll we, we do a kind of little ending segment after uh, after each one. Uh, but thank you very much if you're listening, and we will catch you in the next one. Bye bye. Bye bye.